the Isle of Patmos. It was here that Yohanan, the Apostle John, spent his last days. Yohanan was sentenced to this island in the Aegean Sea because he refused to keep his mouth shut. Once he was sentenced to this wasteland, Yohanan thought his ministry was over. He had been repeatedly beaten, tortured, and finally plunged into a cauldron of boiling oil. Yohanan prayed that nothing man could do could stop his ministry, but Rome had other plans. They stranded him on this island, secluded from all but a few who paid little attention to the aging prophet. On this seemingly God-forsaken wasteland, Yohanan prayed that his suffering would end, that he would be allowed to rest in the grave until the resurrection. His passion for life was failing, but Yeshua came to him with one last mission, one last message to deliver, and it would take a man who had faithfully endured pain and suffering to the end. Yeshua told Yohanan to reveal him as he is now, not as a babe in a manger, not as a sheep before his shearers, but as the conquering, reigning judge over all the earth, the Messiah in all his power and glory and authority. Yeshua asked Yohanan to send this message to his servants to prepare them for the earth-shaking events that would usher in the end-time messianic age. This is the revealing of Yeshua as the Messiah, and these are the things that the Messiah wants his faithful servants to know about the end of the age. In our first season of the Chronological Gospels, we traveled the hill country around my home in the Galilee and began untangling the web of misconceptions about the ministry of Jesus that has become part and parcel of Gentile Christianity throughout the world. We stepped out of the door of my office in Nazareth and into a world 2,000 years removed from the context of modern society. I wanted with all my heart to understand the words of Jesus in the context of the time-ordered sequence in which they transpired, instead of extracting numbered sound bites that fit my denomination's interpretation. Without the context of time and culture, there is no cause and effect, just enigmatic platitudes that are interpreted into 50,000 denominations. But what did Jesus' words mean to those to whom he spoke? And how do they apply to us today? In the introduction to the Chronological Gospels, we discovered that the person known to the English-speaking world as Jesus Christ was never called Jesus until the 17th century. The angel Gabriel instructed both his mother Miriam and stepfather Yosef to name him Yeshua because he would Yoshia, he would save his people from their sins. Neither was Yeshua ever called by the adapted Greek title Christ, or even the proper Hebrew title Mashiach or an English Messiah. His mission was covert. 
Yeshua came the first time to fulfill the role that Moses prophesied in the Torah, the role of the prophet whom we must shema, the prophet we must hear and obey or be judged for our lack of compliance. Christians and Jews can argue till the sun burns out whether Yeshua fulfilled the prophecies concerning the promised Messiah. But the fact is, he did not come the first time to be heralded as the Messiah or fulfill the prophecy of sitting on the throne of his father David and ruling over the world with a rod of iron. The same Hebrew prophet that told us that he would be born in Bethlehem also told us in the same breath that the one who would one day rule over the nation of Israel would be wounded by the troops occupying Israel and that the king would relinquish his authority to rule over Israel until a future time in which the innumerable remnant of Israel would be brought back into their homeland in the last days. Yeshua came the first time to lay down the rules of the kingdom over which he will one day rule. He came the first time as the prophet. We must hear and obey. But the fact remains, very few people listen to him and even fewer obey. Many are called, few choose to respond appropriately. Today, Jews are instructed by their rabbis that they are not to read anything that Yeshua said, or they will have no part in the world to come. But if they actually read Moses, who adamantly condemned anyone who would either add to or subtract from the commandments given at Mount Sinai, and then compared the teachings of Moses with the teachings of Yeshua, their man-made religious system would crumble like the golden calf. Likewise, if Christians were taught what Yeshua's words meant to the Jews of the first century, they too could be delivered from the 50,000 flavors of man-made religion that has been surreptitiously promulgated in his name. As Yeshua said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free, free from religion free to live the truth. In our introduction of the chronological gospels, I took you around the Galilee where Yeshua spent the vast majority of his ministry and all of his childhood, and to the city of Jerusalem. The years I lived in the old city of Jerusalem and my daily walks from Ein Rogel to Ramat Rachel overlooking the sheepfolds of Bethlehem offered me the historical context to understand the gospel records that had eluded me for the four decades I lived and studied in America's theological institutions. In the Galilee, we began to set the stage to understand the ministry of Yeshua. From the moment of his baptism in water until he baptized his disciples with the Holy Spirit 70 weeks later on the Feast of Shavuot, Pentecost. Our adventure began by establishing Yeshua's ancestral bloodline to King David through his only earthly parent, Miriam, the daughter of Yosef ben Yaakov, who was espoused to be wed to a man named Yosef ben Eli, who was also a descendant of King David. We unraveled the narrative of Yeshua's birth and that of his cousin, Yohanan ben Zachariah, commonly known as John the Baptist, 
we followed Yeshua and Yohanan through their childhood years and then caught up with Yohanan in the winter of 26 of the common error when he began his ministry in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. From his mikvah, his baptism in February of the year 27, we followed Yeshua into the wilderness while he fasted, after he overcame the temptation of the adversary, and when he was announced by Yohanan as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That momentous proclamation transpired on the first day of the first month in the year 27. Exactly 69 sevens of years, or 483 years after the command of Artaxerxes to go forth and rebuild the city of Jerusalem, which occurred on the first day of the first month of the year 457 BCE, just as was recorded in the book of Ezra and foretold hundreds of years earlier by the angel to the prophet Daniel. We followed Yeshua as he picked up his first disciples and made his way to a wedding in Cana, where he deliberately defiled the Pharisees' ceremonial stone water pots by turning the water in them into wine. When he declared his judgments against the invented rules of the rabbis, his disciples believed in him. They saw with every miracle the vehement violations of the man-made commandments of the Pharisees who had defied Moses and added commandments of their own imagination and subtracted any commandments that did not suit their fancy. When we left the day-by-day activities of Yeshua, he was on his way up to Jerusalem for the Passover of the year 27 where he will articulate the Jonah Code for the first of many times in his ministry. Yeshua said that there would be one, and only one sign of his authenticity. One sign that Yeshua was the prophet. One sign that he was the promised Messiah. The sign of the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, So Yeshua prophesied that he would be three days and three nights in the grave and then raised on the third day. That is a sign that the entire religious system missed in the first century and the sign that has been likewise misunderstood or completely ignored by Christianity ever since. Now we are going to explore the fifth gospel, the book of the Revelation the only book that was personally written by Yeshua. Just as Baruch was the scribe of the prophet Jeremiah, Yohanan is both the penman and the messenger who will deliver the revelation of Yeshua to the seven assemblies of Asia Minor and to us today. Follow me back 1900 years to the Isle of Patmos where the prophet we must shema, the prophet we must hear and obey reveals himself as the Messiah, the Almighty Judge. This is the scroll of the apocalypse, the revealing of Yeshua the Messiah. This is that which Yahweh the Father gave to Yeshua to show to his servants the things that must swiftly come to pass. 
This revelation from Yeshua was written specifically for and addressed exclusively to the servants of Yeshua. These are not typical paid servants or slaves, but doulos servants, as it indicates in the Greek text. A doulos is one who has served his prescribed time of indentured service and has been released by his master with abundant goods to begin a new life. In the Torah, provision is made for a released servant to willingly enter into a lifetime commitment to the master. The servant who loves his master may offer himself as a bonded slave, a doulos. If the master agrees, the master and servant go to the elders at the gate of the city and confess publicly that the freed man desires to make his previous master his lord and master for life. The master thrust an awl through the ear of the servant into the gatepost. He fastens a gold ring into the ear of the servant and puts the family signet upon his hand. The master confesses that he will back up every word and every contract into which his servant enters. The servant confesses that he will never violate the trust or principles of the master. That servant is now a doulos, a willing slave for life. The scroll of Revelation was not written to, nor can it be understood by the occasional pew warmer, the innocent bystander, or casual Christian. It is irrelevant to those who simply saunter forward at a service and do a repeat after me prayer to secure their irrevocable eternal life policy. This scroll was written for you, the servants who desire and need to know the things that are coming to pass right now in the land of Israel and around the world. The things that Yeshua revealed to Yohanan are happening now. That is why we are moving ahead 60 years in the chronological gospel story. The brimstone is about to hit the fan. Yeshua sent this message through and authenticated it by his messenger, his doulos, his bond slave, John. There was no other person that was so well respected as Yohanan among the assemblies of Asia Minor. He had paid a price of pain and suffering to defend the integrity of the Word of God and to faithfully transmit the testimony of Yeshua. His allegiance to the truth was beyond question. His personal integrity above reproach. I, Yohanan, who upholds the integrity of the Word of God, endorse this testimony of Yeshua Messiah in all the things that I saw. Blessed is he that reads this testimony. Blessed are they that hear and obey the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who guard the things that are written herein, when the time of their fulfillment is at hand. At the Council of Nicaea, the book of the Revelation was discarded by Constantine as irrelevant. It was on its way to the scrap pile in the fourth century. A century later, the revelation was rescued by those who read the words, blessed are they that guard the things written herein. It is because of them that we now are blessed to read and hold this revelation in our hands. The time of its fulfillment is upon us. Though maleficent men have attempted to edit 
to negate and destroy the words of God, the Almighty watches over his word to protect it and to fulfill it. He blesses those who give their lives to make known his word. From Yohanan, to the seven assemblies in Asia Minor, grace to you and shalom from God the Father, which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Yeshua Messiah, who is the faithful witness and the firstborn from among the dead, the king over all the kings of the earth. Glory and honor and a reign that will last forever and ever be to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us to be kings and priests unto Yahweh his Father. Amen. This one sentence is one of the most profound statements in all the canon of scripture from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. If Constantine had his way, we may have never known the meaning of Jeremiah's prophecy concerning the renewing of the covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah and the writing of the Torah on our hearts. Renewing the covenant makes us priests and kings. This is the culminating statement of Yeshua's life and ministry. To him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, who made us to be kings and priests under Yehovah his Father, to Yeshua be all praise and glory and honor and a reign that will last forever and ever. Amen. At Mount Sinai, before we received any of the instructions from the Almighty, we were told that if we would keep all the commandments that we would be a nation of priests and kings, we would be the representatives of the one true God to the entire world. We agreed to obey whatever commandments were given to us. After the commandments were shouted down to us from the flaming mountain, we entered into a blood covenant with the Almighty. Moses took branches of hyssop, dipped them into the blood of bulls, and shook the blood upon us, the scroll upon which the covenant was written, and the sacrificial altar. Though a blood covenant is foreign to the Western world, it is the most solemn of oaths. If either of the parties breaks the blood covenant, the violator must die. While Moses was up in the mountain receiving the instructions for the building of the tabernacle, we erected a stone altar to the pagan cow and bull gods, Apis and Hathor, putting two Egyptian gods in the face of the Almighty and that altar is still standing at the base of Mount Sinai today. But when Moses returned from the mountain with the commandments written in stone and saw the golden calf, the Almighty told him to stand back while he executed the entire nation for our blatant violation of the blood covenant. Moses refused to step aside. He interceded so the nation of Israel would not be wiped off the face of the earth. So in the place of their immediate payment of the death penalty, the Almighty instituted sacrifices that would be a constant reminder that we had broken the blood covenant 
and were under the death penalty. Year after year, century after century, millennia after millennium, we brought the blood sacrifice of bulls and goats and lambs and rams as a continual reminder that we owed the death penalty. But animals cannot pay the death penalty. It must be paid by the offending party. There is no way out of it. Unless someone who never breaks the covenant volunteers to die in the place of the guilty party. Then that person could renew the covenant that was made with us at Mount Sinai. Glory and honor and a reign that will last forever and ever and ever be to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us to be kings and priests unto Yehovah, his father. We were offered to be priests and kings at Mount Sinai. We broke the blood covenant and incurred the death penalty. But now that the death penalty has been willingly paid by Yeshua, who never broke the covenant, he can make us priests and kings by renewing that covenant with us. That is what Yohanan articulates in the opening statement to the assemblies in Asia Minor. The covenant has been renewed. The same commandments that were written in stone on the first tablets were written a second time in stone on the tablets that Moses took back up to the mountain of God. The first time the commandments were written on stone. Now we present the tablets of our hearts and the Almighty writes the same commandments on our hearts. We want to keep his commandments. We want to shema. We want to hear and obey. If his spirit is in us, we shall behold him coming in the clouds. Every eye shall see him and also those who pierced him. All of the families of the earth shall wail because of him. Yes and amen. Yeshua declares, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Aleph and Tav, the beginning and the end, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Yeshua is no longer a babe in a manger. He did the Father's will, and now all power and authority and dominion has been put into his hands. He will rule until he has put down all earthly kingdoms and brings all nations into submission to the rule of the creator of the universe. But as Yohanan is going to tell us, things are going to get real nasty before the smoke clears. I, John, your brother and companion in tribulation, in enduring hardship for the kingdom of Yeshua Messiah, was exiled to the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Yeshua Messiah. I was taken by the Spirit to the day of Yehovah. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the startling blast of a trumpet, which said to me, I am Alpha and Omega, Aleph and Tav, the first and the last. What you are about to see, write in a scroll and send it to the seven Kahilot, the seven assemblies of Asia Minor, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, 
to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And as I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. Yohanan is going to detail in writing exactly what he sees in this vision. He is told to write it on a scroll and send it to seven specific assemblies in Asia Minor. What he is about to witness will take his breath away. He will not have the strength to stand on his feet or the ability to communicate. What Yohanan sees will change his life. And it will change your life if you can see what he saw. It is on this bleak and desolate Isle of Patmos that John received the revelation of Yeshua as the Messiah, the almighty judge who will rule the earth with absolute power and authority. Though the rulers of this world conspire against Yehovah and against the Messiah, the Almighty will have them in derision as their plans of global dominion are incinerated before their eyes. The minions who have bowed at the feet of Satan for their peace of the new world order will have their hopes dashed upon the rock as Yeshua destroys those who attempt to annihilate Israel and nullify the everlasting covenant God made with his people. Yes, all of the land from the Euphrates to the Nile belongs to the sons of Israel. Every nation that stands against that covenant will find itself on the battlefield against the Almighty. I'm Michael Rood, bidding you shalom, peace. And I will see you on the sea of fire and glass when the smoke clears. <laughs>